I'm Adam Nassi, and this is Growth Swag. What's real? The real question is What's real? All right, so Adam Massey with Growth Swag. Uh, today joining me is an old friend, Craig Walker. Uh, Craig is the CEO of Dialpad, which is a very, very cool high growth startup based in San Francisco that's completely changing the way that you know we as individuals and companies communicate. Uh, Craig, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, so I'm trying to think back as to when we first met, um, but when I think back on it, I want to say it was Google, but I actually think you were leading Grand Central at the time. Does that sound right? Yeah, it, it was either right before we got acquired by Google um, or afterwards. But yeah, like it was right around that time, around 2007, 2008-ish yeah. time frame. Yeah, so I think just for those who aren't familiar with us, uh, you know, at that time, I was at Google in the very, very early days of like trying to get Google apps to become a more mainstream enterprise uh, productivity suite. And everybody else, namely Microsoft, had really killer communications and telephony, and we didn't. So we started partnering with Craig's company at the time, which was Grand Central. And I would like pull Craig in as often as I could because uh, he's charismatic, he knows his stuff, and he's great with customers. And uh, eventually Google acquired Grand Central, which became the genesis for Google Voice. Um, and I remember just being like so thrilled that I had more access to you uh, in that capacity. And it was fun working with you in those days. Yeah, it definitely uh, was. Too bad we didn't. <clears throat> I wish they'd have let us do more with Google Voice when we were there. We, we really had an opportunity. Oh, man, I, I used it for years. I think now I'm still using a forked version of Google Voice, but uh, actually now I'm a Dialpad user. So you guys are you guys are filling a lot of the gaps that Google probably should have covered a long time ago, but now they can with you. So it's all good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just maybe a little bit of background. Um, you know, when I think of what you've built at Dialpad, I'm completely blown away. You built just a really amazing piece of software and capabilities, a very, very cool company. I know more and more people now that work at Dialpad and love working there. Uh, so you're just someone who I've always really respected as an entrepreneur, a thought leader, someone willing to take risks and just a great leader. Uh, maybe you could tell a little bit of your origin story. Like, how did this all start? What got you on this path to where you are today? Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I can tell you, I would have never thought that I'd have a 20-year career in voice over IP communications. Um, I was a securities attorney in Palo Alto like in the late, in the mid, late 90s. And always, you know, we were working on really interesting stuff. Like, you know, Netscape had just gone public. The the internet was just blowing everything up. The, you know, the dot-com bubble was like growing like crazy. And, and it was just a really exciting time. <clears throat> so I was representing companies that were, you know, going public or getting funded or acquiring companies. And from that vantage point, like it, it really struck me of like, I, I loved, I actually loved being a lawyer in those deals, but I wanted to get on the other side of the table. I wanted to, you know, actually be doing the deals or, or doing the companies, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. And so one of my clients was leave or was starting a venture fund and it was like this two person venture fund. And this was like 1998 and 
he asked me to join him. And so I joined, I, I quit my law firm job and joined this, this startup venture fund. And this was, this was like the greatest time in the world to be investing. This is, you know, 99 investing in internet stuff and telecom stuff. Everything just yeah. took off. So we seemed like we were really smart, even though, yeah, we were just, we were getting into good deals, but you know, everything was doing well then. So I'm not so sure how smart I was. I was just lucky to be along for the ride. Um, one of the companies we invested in was doing a voice over IP thing or service called, and it was called Dialpad. It was Dialpad Communications. And it, it allowed you to make phone calls to anywhere in the world using the internet to transport the call instead of using the phone system. And when you do that, the internet is effectively free. The cost of like an international long distance call went from, you know, a dollar a minute back then to like giving it away for free or charging a penny. And so it was totally, totally, you know, like mind blowing. Yeah. And, and that company like Dialpad, we invested in it and they went from zero to 12 million users like overnight. It was just a runaway, just like rocket ship. And, um, but no one really knew, you know, like we weren't charging for the minutes. It was the business model at the time was just get a ton of users and let's, uh, you know, like figure out how to make it up in advertising, which, you know, frankly sounds a little crazy now, but 1999, that was kind of like the entire business model of the internet. And so, um, yeah. so anyway, I was with a fund that invested in it. And then I got to go run that company when sadly the internet bubble burst in you know 2001 and all these companies were running out of funding and here at dalpad they they needed someone to go in and and basically lay off a bunch of people and try to keep it alive and get through kind of like the the nuclear winter that was the dot-com bubble and so that was my my first you know, talk about like working through crisis or in bad times. My my first week as a CEO, I basically had to lay off you know almost ninety percent of the company. So it's uh it was it was definitely a weird way to get into the operating side. But you know, since two thousand one, I've that's where I've stayed. Wow, and I love the name. It's so cool that you were able to uh, sort of resurface the name in, in your in the current company. So that's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Like uh, you know, like. Fast forward the you know, four years of really, really hard work of putting the pieces back together and like, you know, a skeleton crew of of employees, you know, keeping the lights on and keeping everything working. And ultimately we became profitable and we grew to, you know, didn't grow to a big company, but we grew to, you know, like 60 or so employees and, and uh, Yahoo in 2005 came and bought us. So when I was looking for a name for this company, I called one of my buddies from from Yahoo and uh, and just said, "Hey, look, you haven't used the Dialpad name in ten years. Anyway, we can buy it back." And Yahoo was extremely cool and sold it back to us at a at a really fair price. So yeah, That's we awesome. were able to buy the name back, which was great. Oh, and it's such a great name. I love your logo too. So you guys are nailing it. So I remember that. I remember seeing you know you guys were acquired by Yahoo and you worked there for a little while, right? Not long. It was just literally 90 days and then, okay. then left to go start Grand Central. Man, yeah. So then Grand Central for a couple years, Grand Central, then you exited. Grand Central was acquired, as we discussed, by Google as the, uh, the beginning of Google Voice. Um, and yeah, that's where we worked together for a while. And then you worked at Google Ventures for a bit as well. Yeah, it was. So it was 
leaving leaving Yahoo and starting Grand Central, like literally Grand Central, we raised a Series A financing that was you know relatively small. We raised four million dollars. The entire idea was we were going to give you one phone number that would bring you everywhere. So you would have all your features through the web and you could control, you know, how people were treated and all the features of a phone call you could effectively control from the web. Um, and it was like the opposite of like the grind of dial pad. It was 18 months, we raised a series A and then we got acquired by Google. Like it was, it was as good as it could get. We never really had any real challenges along the way. And then we stayed at Google for three years. Um, built Google Voice, you know, we had tens of millions of users at, at Google Voice, so really kind of gave us an understanding of how to do these things at scale and at Google scale, and then left Google in 2010 to go to Google Ventures, and I was the entrepreneur in residence at, at GV, and the idea was always, okay, now that we've done consumer communications, you know, the next step is the enterprise and every business should have a modern software based mobile first, you know, communication system. And most of them still to this day don't. They have, you know, desk phones and and servers in the back closet serving the desk phone. And so um, we left to go to go work on that and started Dialpad again in 2011. Yeah, it's, it's such a cool story. Um, actually, as a sidebar. I may be wrong on this, but I swear, I think my cell phone number today is actually the same phone number I originally got from Grand Central, like when we first started partnering together, because then I think it moved over to Google Voice. Yeah. And then several years ago, I actually had to port it out of Google Voice into like Google Fi, or it was a really weird process, but um, I've still got it. So that's uh, pretty cool looking back. That's a crack up. The, yeah, because my my Google Voice or my Grand Central number became my Google Voice number, became my Google Fi number, and now I've ported it over to Dialpad, so it's my Dialpad yeah. number now. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm loving Dialpad. Uh, you know, I'm probably representative of a very, very, very small company using it. I've seen really large companies using it, and the value gets just immense there. But for a little guy like me, you know, I've got my main my main line, my individual lines for our team. Uh, it's awesome. So I'm loving it. Um, right on. So, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting background that's um, based on a lot of big risks, seeing great ideas, bringing awesome teams together and doing big things together. I think what's interesting and I'd love to just chat with you more about is the theme I like to kind of come back to over and over again on this podcast is around growth. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm kind of a broken record on here because I don't, find too many people, myself included, that have experienced tremendous growth in times when things are really good and really easy and comfortable. Generally, I have found the recipe for growth is being scared, just, you know, in a place of discomfort and doing big things that seem really hard. Um, and, you know, you've had a lot of that. You talked about, you know, the beginnings of dial pad version one being in a time of, you know, economic crisis. Yeah. Uh, you've had teams that you've had to like downsize teams, build up teams, go through exits. Uh, I'd love for you to maybe just share anything you can on like your thoughts on growth, not just professional, but also personal and like how things like taking risks and fear and overcoming fear plays into developing growth. Yeah, I'd say, um, yeah, there's a, Sergey had, had wrote a letter to employees or to shareholders at one point and it talked about how, um, 
scarcity brings clarity. And I think that's a that's a really important thing. Like when when money's scarce, when resources are scarce, it really forces you to focus on the absolutely most important things. Um, <clears throat> and I think in in hard times, that's that's what you're forced to do. And so like, you know, my my first CEO job in 2001, really until we got acquired by Yahoo in 2005, that was like, that was a, a touch and go near death experience every single day. Like legitimately you are, you know, you don't have a lot of cash. You don't have, you got to make smart decisions. You got to make decisions with imperfect information. You can't, but you can't not make decisions, right? You know, like you don't have the luxury of time to get more information. You just have to have to move on and adapt and just kind of be led by, you know, just kind of an inner compass of, hey, this makes sense. We're going to go forward. And it's just a lot of, I hate to say it, it's just a lot of super hard work and tons of common sense. Um, you know, I had had, it's funny, I'd gotten my MBA at Georgetown after undergrad and I never thought, you know, I was ever going to use anything for my MBA because then I ended up going back to law school and was a lawyer. But like all these like things kind of come back to you on, on like just just organizational behavior and and how to set things up and and just um, really really more than anything, it, I think it just comes down to leadership. You know, like it's in times of trouble and in good times, but mostly in times of trouble, people need to see that you're leading from the front. And they need to see that you're totally invested and engaged and, uh, and, you know, doing everything you can to make things a success. And then they'll do the same thing. And so those, those hard years in, in the early 2000s, like I remember legitimately driving home from work, like midnight and people will say this, but like midnight, almost every single night, like it was, it was a grind. And we had, you know, we had laid off a bunch of people and like everyone was doing three or four different jobs. And it was, it was kind of like, you know, forged in battle that team and those people that I worked with through that period, like a whole lot of them are still working with me today, you know, 19 years later, because yeah. we've been, you know, you've been through so much together and you kind of like don't even need to worry at all about anyone else's, you know, value system or work ethic or anything like that. You're just all in it for the right reasons. And so it's, you know, like you're exactly right. These these challenges are where you kind of find out, you know, what you're made of. And frankly, you have no idea what's going to come next. Like every day would be a new set of challenges just out of the blue and you just have to adapt and deal with them and and make the right decisions as much as yeah, humanly possible. Yeah. And I think you said something there that also really resonated, which is, you know, not operating from a place of fear from like an impulsive standpoint, you know, and not letting fear necessarily guide you. But when there's, when it's an intense kind of fearful scenario, trusting on the fundamentals, like doing what you being pragmatic, doing the right things, showing up, getting the work done and kind of sticking to your principles and mm -hmm. try to stay on your compass versus letting fear force you to make kind of dumb, impulsive decisions that you're going to regret two days later. It's, you know, I think it's an interesting thing, especially in these times. You also mentioned something, Craig, that I was going to talk about later, but I think it's timely here is I agree with you. So like, leadership and leading from the front front and being visible is super critical. Um, I've been in organizations where there was uncertainty and leaders were not present, right? And so yeah. the, va the vacuum of leadership is worse than even poor leadership, right? It's the worst kind of leadership there is. 
And so like, how are you navigating that right now, right? So we're both on this phone mm -hmm. call because we're both in quarantine at our houses, probably going semi stir crazy. Um, how are you as a CEO of a pretty large company being visible and present and leading from the front when physically we're being forced to kind of be separate right now? Yeah, it's um, well, thank God for tools like Uber conference, you know, our, our video conferencing tool, because um, we have, you know, we have folks all around the world, right? So we have, we have headquarters in San Francisco, but a lot of engineering in, in Canada, sales in Austin, Texas, um, uh, development, some development engineering in, in Bangalore, India. And then we have a, we have a subsidiary in, in Tokyo as well. So we have people all over the place um, and they're all worldwide now all working from home. So what we've done is, or what I've done to really try to stay visible is every day from noon to one, um, one of my, like someone on the executive staff and like I, I do the rotation too is, uh, we just hold an open office hours. Just, here's the Uber conference link. Come join. Ask any question you want. Um, it doesn't have to be work related. Hang out. Get to see your coworkers. Get to know each other, even though you're remote. Um, and we do that every single day. And then right before this, I was on our weekly Friday at one. So we have a you know since our since we started the company, we used to have Fridays at four and that's to give a business update and then to let anyone in the company ask any questions. We've now moved that to one so we can hit all the time zones on, you know, Western yeah. hemisphere pretty effectively. And, um, and then on, so it's uh Monday night at nine 30 PM is, is India does a Tuesday at 10 AM. And so we'll join there and I'll join that and give the same update that I gave to the rest of the country uh, company on um on friday at one and so you're just like you're just finding yourself in front of the computer getting on a bunch of calls both you know scheduled and then ad hoc just to kind of keep that communication and that that context for everyone and i think like you're exactly right if in times of you know uncertainty the last thing you want is to to have there be a leadership vacuum like people need to know where they can go to get a straight answer and it may not even be the answer they want but it's a it's a straight answer versus you know uncertainty and when people have uncertainty and no clear direction like they'll make up their own narrative no matter how true or crazy it is and those things kind of like they're terrible for culture and they take hold and, you know, people start getting paranoid and things like that. So just really being being out in front and being honest with your employees. And that's why we've always done Friday at fours for the last nine years is because like your employees are investors in your company. Right. They have yeah. their, their they have their skills and they can invest their skills at a bunch of different companies. So they have a right to know how their investment is doing. Right. And that was one of the things that shocked me when I when I was put in as CEO in 2001 of, you know, Dalpad one long, long ago is I was brought in because like it was it was almost the end of the rope. Right. Like I had to make some really, really, really hard decisions to keep that company alive. But the amount of the amount of cluelessness that the employees had of just how how bad the situation was, I was I was surprised how kept in the dark they were and like i always yeah. vowed from that point on of hey good news or bad news we're going to share it and we're going to you know we're going to handle it 
and and if you're you know if if this isn't what you signed up for if it's not going the way you want it to by all means you know like feel free to go somewhere else you know i i need people who i know are going to be there for you know when times get tough so i'm happy to share kind of like all the information um but yeah you're exactly right you got to you got to lead from the front you got to use all these tools of you know, we're on we're on Dialpad all day long. We're on Uber Conference all day long. We're on Slack all day long. You're on checking your email all day long, and I'd say one of the biggest challenges of the work from home thing is there's literally no breaks. It's like like yeah. I'm more tired now at the end of the day than I've ever been. You know, like like you don't get yeah commuting sucks, but at least you get an hour each way of like you know reading a Kindle or something like that's that's gone. So it is a it's a it is it's it's been it's been a lot of productive work um but it's definitely been uh been time consuming to to try to stay in front of all the offices it just takes a lot of effort yeah well so that that leads me to another thing i wanted to touch on which you know i wanted to ask about your routine like if you have a fairly consistent daily routine but especially as like you know ceo of a pretty large organization how do you maintain carving out time to think Right, because I, I I find yeah. it to be super challenging to kind of think long form when you're constantly reacting to you know texts, emails, messages, like all this the market, all these different things, and so solitude I have found is so good for that, but also very hard in these times. And so you know, right now is kind of a, this we're in a weird scenario, but in general, do you stick to a routine, and how do you find time to do that more strategic sort of thinking? And is solitude part of that, or meditation, or anything like that? Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> I it's super valuable to do, and it's super important to do. And and like you know, I'll I'll wake up in the middle of the night with like like the best thoughts I've had, you know, in in like a week. And I keep a pad of paper next to my bed to be able to do that. And I try to do things like no meeting Thursdays, so you just have a day of just kind of like catching up and reflection. Um, I'd say though, since this COVID like shelter in place thing, like legitimately those are harder and harder to find uninterrupted time because, sure. you, know, you know, like one, like uh, my inbox is just blowing up. Like the amount of things that, that, you know, you used to be able to deal with, you know, just standing in the office and talking to people, everything is now a written communication or, you know, or a video conference or something. So it's a, it's a lot harder. Um, and then you're also in the house with your family, right? So if there's if there's free time to have some big thoughts, you're you're surrounded by five other people. <laughs> so yeah. so that's a little challenging too. Um, and I think that I think one of the more interesting things on the work from home thing is, you know, is it like I don't know how people do it full time. Like it, it seems like a great thing to have you know, balance on. So if we were, if we were to go work from home for three days a week, I think I could have perfect balance versus five days a week. It's a little too much for me. Yeah. And, and it really is to find that time where you can just kind of think about big strategic things versus, you know, like, you know, dealing with tactical stuff all day long, but it's, it is a challenge. And I, I used to have a pretty good, pretty good routine, but since we've been working from home, it's been, it's been a little more hectic. Yeah, well, what I've found, like even just in this last week, is so a lot of the same themes. It's kind of constant, and there's yeah. a lot of stuff going on, so it's harder to find that time. We've done sort of a similar thing here in our little company, where we just had a couple more 
really kind of unstructured, you know, video conference, brainstorm, hangout meetings where we yeah. are talking about stuff. And actually some awesome ideas have come from those that have, you know, really forged some of our strategy during these, these little bit, you know, less certain times that have given us more proactive stance, like business isn't usual. So let's not operate business as usual right now. Let's be proactive. And all those ideas around those things have come from these meetings where we're kind of riffing together virtually the way you would probably around, you know, a cafe or micro kitchen or something, but it's, it's hard, sure. but, but you can, you can do it, I guess. And um, no, yeah, you can. I think that that's exactly right. Like when you're in these like total periods of disruption, it's like, Hey, everyone, let's just get together and get ideas on the table, right? Like, let's look, like, what exactly does this mean? How quickly can we react to this? And how can we, you know, do, do think like the things of being a startup that you have going for you is you can be incredibly nimble. Like I, I could, I could send a note like right now, just like, okay, we are now focusing on blank. And luckily the team and I have worked together enough that there's like this level of trust that they'll, they'll just go do it. Whereas yeah. you try to do that at Google and, or, you know, like some massive company, like the inertia is just so incredible that you can't, you can't yeah. it's really, really extraordinary to try to do that. So, um, but no, no, that's, it's, I, I think you're right. Like we did that. We did that last week. We said, look, we're going to, we're going to set five hours aside and I'm going to get my chief strategy officer, my head of product, my head of engineering, and we're just going to sit down and whiteboard and we're just going to figure out things we can do immediately to, to do better right now. And I think yeah. and it's super, super valuable. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, I know that we're, uh, we're coming to the end of the time. I want to let you go. Before we do, any closing thoughts from you? I mean, so back to the core theme that I like to talk about with people on this podcast, growth. Um, you know, for those folks at various different points in their career, especially like maybe now, right, dealing with, you know, the uncertain economic and, and health times ahead here. Any thoughts and, you know, lessons you've learned on growth that might be helpful for others to hear? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, like for a lot of folks, you know, they, they've been in the workforce for less than 11 years and the last 11 years have been a been a high to the right bull market. Right. So like, like yeah. it's, it's, it'll, these next few years are going to be really informative of, Hey, how do you do in, in a downturn? How do you like, how do you continue to excel? Like it's, it's, you're really tested in, in both scenarios. You're tested in high growth and you're tested in like crippling growth. Right. And, and how you do on the crippling side is, is, probably more important than how you do on the high growth side. So, so I think it's going to be a really interesting time. I think, you know, out of all these bad periods, great companies are born, you know, Google came out of the dot-com crash, um, you know, Uber came out of 2008. Like the, there's great companies that are, that are going to get forged by this. And the ones that survive and thrive are the ones that adapt the best and, and do it. So it's, you know, like, it'll be interesting to see three years from now, who are the winners from and who, who dealt the best through this, these challenging times, because it is going to be pretty challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the same, you know, I give similar advice, right? I'm telling people, this is be opportunistic, look to grow, you know, look, this is going to challenge you in ways you haven't been challenged for a while, but challenges build muscle, right? And so new kind of muscles. So exactly. Um, like that's awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much. Great to catch up with you. It's been too long, my friend. And um, yeah, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, you got it. Adam, stay sane. Get out on that mountain bike. You too, man. Thanks. <laughs> All right. See you, bud. All right. Bye-bye.
The real question is What's real?